Hello and welcome everybody to I4O Explains. Um, this is a new segment that we're doing. Um, there's been a few uh, episodes in the past of our news that we've kind of talked a little bit about certain topics and we feel that just kind of glazing over them in the news doesn't exactly do them justice. And we there are several topics that I think we should spend a little more time on talking about. So with uh, with the beginning of this inaugural step in our podcast, we thought what better uh, thing to talk about than quite possibly the hottest topic in technology <laughs> this past month. Yeah. Um, and that is that. Bitcoin and more specifically and simultaneously less specifically the entire thing that is cryptocurrency and what's what it is, what it's involved in it, what the hash functions are, how the blockchain works. And just some examples of different altcoins, as they're called, which are just coins that aren't Bitcoins. Um, so yeah. just to kind of start off uh, with the, the most high level way to describe it, um, Bitcoin is not really any different than real money being spent through credit cards. Um, so it's it's just a currency. And you can't the only difference between credit cards and uh, Bitcoin is you can't print Bitcoin. Um, you mine it. So, and we'll get into that later in the, in this initial episode, but, um, the, the big thing with Bitcoin that's better than, or that people view as better than standard currency is that it's decentralized. So there's no bank involved for monitoring the ledger, um, or the transaction history. So typically the transaction history is audited by a bank or controlled by a bank. So that way there's no fraud. Um, in this case with Bitcoin, Everybody who is involved in transactions carries a copy of the ledger. And I think as of like, I can only imagine it's bigger, but it's already, the ledger's over a hundred gigabytes. So it's a huge, huge, huge ledger for the transaction history. And um, so going into a little bit about Bitcoins, like I kind of wanted to focus for the beginning bit about um, the ledger itself, um, since it's such a huge component of crypto and arguably the entire basis of how Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, Dogecoin, all that stuff works. Um, so unlike a bank, um, and you probably know this, Urban, um, all transactions on the blockchain are stored publicly and anonymously. So um, you can see, it's kind of like looking through your like your credit card account where you see your transactions of what you've spent money on and who you spent money to. Um, mm -hmm. But that is locked behind a password and nobody else can see your transaction history except for you and the bank. Yeah. Um, so the, the difference with that is um, you see the whole list of spending that happened on the entire history of Bitcoin since it started. So the way you see that though, you don't see names, you don't see account numbers, you don't see anything. You just see the cryptographic hashes of each user and the amount that was transferred between the accounts. And the so, benefit that offers is that you can, anyone can verify a transaction, right? Third party, anyone mm -hmm. who has access to that ledger, which is anyone who wants it, uh, can just download and verify that a particular transaction, making sure that it occurred, the proper amount was transferred. Um, so it becomes kind of like an open source uh type of of uh looking back at the, right. the information which is great it's, it's the same way that open source software is great uh for security uh this is great for verifying the transactions to ensure that everything is being done properly because it's open to anyone who wants to verify that information right right and um now i bet the the next question that many people would have is since everybody has a copy of the ledger and since every transaction updates every ledger, how are these all kept in sync, right? So um, what happens is a transaction must solve a calculation to go through. So this solves a couple of problems right off the bat. Um, so for one, these calculations, the first ones to complete that calculation are the, are the first one, are the, the final transaction that is added to the ledger. So this kind of prevents uh, another person saying, let's say Bob 
This prevents Bob from sending the same Bitcoin to three different people. So he would send out the Bitcoin and the first transaction to complete that hash would be the transaction that goes through and the one that gets added to the ledger. So uh, the, the way the ledger is verified is that um, uh, every time a ledger transaction history is requested, which is at the very beginning of the transaction. So they request the history to see which um, to see if that money has already been spent before it even bothers with the calculation. So when it's requested, another hash must be solved. And this allows, um, this is a broadcast calculation that's solved by everyone who owns the ledger. And it's kind of like, for example, um, if you're playing poker with somebody or you're with five different people and everybody is checking their transactions to see that um, every time a move is made, it's the correct amount of money is moving. So um, the way that that goes off of is the majority of the ledgers that carry the same history that is the history that's used. So um, I don't know if that made sense. It kind of, I feel like that that's very, I tried to keep it high level with that, but basically the long story short is that the majority of the ledgers that hold a record, that is the record that's used. And that prevents um, one person from influencing the ledger too much. So it goes off of hundreds of thousands of decentralized locations performing calculations and the majority are carrying the accurate history. Um, so I don't, I guess that makes sense. Is that, yeah. Is that, is that clear? Yeah. No, yeah. that, that uh, is fairly clear. Yeah. So basically powering numbers. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, I don't know if that would be a good segue to go into what the hash function actually is, because um, this is kind of the real meat of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And one of these two calculations, particularly the uh, calculation that adds a transaction to the ledger, that is how um, Bitcoin is mined. So uh, the way that the ledger is kept up to date is, particularly in Bitcoin, is um, the... When a, when, a, when a transaction goes to be added, it's sent out to the, the public and people who are currently mining Bitcoin are running the hash cycles to add that transaction to the ledger. So um, when the calculation is completed, the, um, the account that has completed that hash is awarded Bitcoin for, um, for the ledger. So. This kind of allows Bitcoin to globally be distributed at a at a close to random interval. Um, and that also, I think, is a fixed number of Bitcoin at the, until so often where it'll half. So um, I think the current award for completing a hash to add to the blockchain is 12 and a half Bitcoin. So that's quite a bit of money for solving a calculation. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and I think by 2018 or 2019, that number will half. So there will be less Bitcoin added. Um, or I think it'll down to, it'll, it'll go down to about six and then it'll go down to about three. So I think every, I think in my notes, I have that. Um, yeah. The total available mining coins halves every four years. So um there is to kind of go back a little bit so now you know how the hash works now you know how bitcoin mining works and now you know how the ledger is kept up to date um the other important topic is that with bitcoin specifically there is 21 million bitcoin total so that gives the currency a finite amount so people can't just infinitely print bitcoin and have infinite amounts of money um, because that's not how a currency works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and apparently uh, a cool fact that I learned while doing my research was that uh, the last Bitcoin will be mined at the current rate in 2140. So hmm. a lot of Bitcoin left. <laughs> yeah, but it's, I think it's like you said, it's getting harder and harder uh, to mine as, as yeah. the yeah. As and you get closer to that limit. 
Right. And uh, in order to mine, there's that hash function that we talked about earlier that I, that I brought up. Um, so to kind of provide an easy example for this, um, the, and I feel like people would want to know what specifically a hash function is. Um, the hash function itself is just a, it's a computing term used in programming. Um, it's used across the internet for things um, as simple as exchanging money uh, to making sure that it's safe all the way down to login credentials, which is probably the most common use of a hash on the internet. Um, so what a hash function is, is it takes a variable input and converts it into a fixed output. So that way the output is easy to predict, but it's irreversible. Mm-hmm. So a good example of this is um, a function that outputs the answer 10. So uh, it's easy to guess 10 because it's whatever that it's a single, it's just an easy number to guess, but you don't know what happens in that function to generate 10. So for example, it could be five plus five. It could be five times two. It could be 20 divided by two. It could be three plus three plus three plus one. It could be any number of combinations of, of calculations to get to the answer 10. So this makes it extremely secure because it's incredibly hard to guess. And um, that is not an actual form of, <laughs> of uh, hashing. And if a website does use that function for hashing, that person should be fired because, <laughs> because that is not a safe hash at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bitcoin itself uses a industry proven um, hash functionality. And most cryptos, I believe, use this also. It's SHA-256, which was developed by the NSA for cryptography. And you know a bit about SHA, I'm sure, Erwin. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But the, uh, and the, there's, um, the computer specifically around cryptocurrency is solving these hashes. So it's trying to generate the part that is hard to guess. And that is the, um, the current way that um, most cryptography and cryptocurrency is solved. So mining is just running calculations to get those guesses correct. So um, whoever solves this problem has their transaction added to the transaction history. And that is what uh, we discussed earlier and how Bitcoin is awarded and I noticed this is becoming quickly like a lecture. So if you have anything you'd like to add to, to this, Urban. No, yeah, um, go ahead. No, yeah. I, I'll jump in whenever I can. But yeah, it's it's a lot. And it's there's a lot going into Bitcoin and what it is. So like um, there's different types of hardware that's better for mining Bitcoin and different types of hardware that's worse for mining Bitcoin. Um, so for example, when Bitcoin was first created, you could just use this. You could just dedicate a few CPU cycles to it and get hundreds of Bitcoin. Um, but uh, since each calculation that's solved takes all of the um, old guesses that failed and adds that into the next calculation, it becomes substantially harder to guess subsequent um, cryptographic hashes, and like you're saying, makes it way harder to. Um, to actually mine feasibly with a graphics card because now we're now I think you need basically like massive dedicated rigs and yeah. farms in order to actually mine Bitcoin at this rate. Yes. Other ones Profit such as Dogecoin where you're and- profitable, right? So like you can mine it, but you're not going to be wasting more on electricity or, um, or actual hardware. Um, mm-hmm. to mine something where you might not be gaining, uh, you're not going to have a return on your investment, right? You could you could yeah. spend uh, uh, on ten cards a G- GTX 1080 Ti. You buy ten of those, and that's uh, going to be a significant cost. And you might that at this point might not even be enough to make a turnaround a profit for Bitcoin. Uh, yeah. In terms of cost of the hardware, plus the electricity, plus everything else that you need. Uh, yeah. Whereas so. like with Dogecoin, you could accidentally get like 5,000 Dogecoin. So it's, <laughs> right. yeah. it's something that like it's 
it really depends on how far along and how mature the blockchain is. Mm-hmm. Um, that depends on how hard it is to actually mine. But it's a really cool technology, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, because there's this whole air of mystery around it. And as anybody who's still listening has just caught on to the fact of that it takes 20 minutes to explain how it works in maybe more. I haven't kept track of the time, but like it's something that is incredibly difficult to catch people up on and involves a lot of knowledge of what a hash is, what, um, what the blockchain means. But just to kind of recap the, the long-term description of, or the, the too long didn't read, if you will, of Bitcoin is uh, the easiest way to describe what it is, is it's a ledger of all previous transactions. Um, each transaction as it's added is rewarded Bitcoin, which distributes currency to the network and um, the hashes that aren't um, calculated into the correct guess are used to generate the next step in that. And I think each one handles that little bit on how the the hash function gets tougher a little bit differently. So that could be inaccurate information for several other coins and Mm -hmm. for several other branches of uh, cryptocurrency. But um, this is changing all the time and there's new coin and they call them ICOs, initial coin offerings, as different coins jump into the market. Um, but that's that's like the summary on how it works. Um, but the only other thing that uh, someone who's looking into this transaction history might want to know is how do we know that a transaction is valid? We know that it solves the calculations to prevent duplicates, but we don't know how I can tell, for example, like if, for example, Irvin, if I were to email you a banana, like a photo of a banana, (laughs) like how would you know that that is the PNG file for the banana? Or if I just control seed it and then sent you the copy, right? Yeah. So, um, the way that a, the way that a transaction is, is verified as being sent from me and it's that Bitcoin is the um, the transaction itself, think of it as like a three-tiered like note card almost. It's like an envelope, basically. So it has the return address and the sender's address. And that itself is the account number of who is sending it and the account number of who is receiving it. So that and that is the the bulk of the message. Inside the envelope, you have the amount of Bitcoin being transferred. And the stamp is where this is where I'm going with this. It's the signature of the transaction. So each transaction is signed by the person sending it. And this is verified using their public key, um, which is um, the, the for cryptographic hashing. There's a public key and a private key. The private key is unique to you. And the public key is generated from the private key that you distribute to everybody who you would be receiving your trend, who you'd be receiving the, um, the amount of Bitcoin. So, um, when someone gets a transaction, they run your public key against it. And if it matches, then they can tell with 100% certainty that it is coming from you. So basically these keys are just huge numbers that are generated from one way functions, which are just cryptographic hash. It's a hash function. Yeah. So everything, everything in, in these transactions is run through hash and is run through uh, encryption. So um, that is the basis of a transaction. And since everybody has their own copy of the letter of the ledger um, and these functions need to all be run, um, the only caveat to this is that you may not receive transactions in the same order as another person. So um, sometimes if you send money and then send money to somebody else, um, the second transaction may go through before the first transaction, depending on the network because of how big it is and how distributed it is. And that's just one of the downsides to having a decentralized network. So basically, um, with those transactions, just easiest way to think of it as an envelope. So you have the return address, the send address, the amount inside the envelope and the stamp, which is how someone can tell that with 100% certainty it came from you. So, um, and 
I know that some of these coins are used differently and some of these coins have um, different um, different purposes and run different things in order to um, in order to, pr- to in order to I guess to have value would be a good way to describe that um, like this um, Bitcoin which is largely referred to as the original there's ethereum which is the secondary which utilizes the smart contracting functionality and urban we can go a little bit more into that as we get into the individuals um and then there's litecoin which is just kind of an it's an easy to it's an easy entry form of bitcoin uh, makes it a little bit easier to mine and it's built to be a little more um friendly to people who are making an entry into the crypto markets um and as uh we're seeing in the Twitch chat, um, Zebinator uh, says there's a lot of scam coins out there, um, yeah, sure. which is a good thing to note because that is the, that is true. There's a lot of coins that are literally just vaporware that show up on the market, get the uh, get the initial coin offering boost, and then just dismantle themselves. So, and regulation is a whole different note as well. Yeah, but <laughs> regulation that's the 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 whole point about having a decentralized network is that it's incredibly hard for a single body to regulate and the regulation is done through the blockchain itself. Um, it's going, it, that kind of a question falls more into researching ICOs than it does actually, um, having a regulatory body taking these out. So it would be kind of like if I decided to introduce monopoly money into the free market <laughs> and, and there, like, and there's a lot is, of news, like, uh, uh, governments trying to launch their own cryptocurrencies, um, for, uh, certain types maybe just for the verification part of it, like the smart contracts or actually, uh, a sort of type of replacement for their own current currency. Um, I think that is sort of going against the, the idea of the, these coins, right? If a government's running it, they're the creators, then you remove that sort of decentralized kind of aspect of it. Uh, mm-hmm. cause now it is being sort of controlled by, uh, an, an entity, um right whereas the whole idea of these cryptocurrencies is that it's not it's decentralized like you mentioned it's not being controlled by anyone or anything um and uh user kianigan asked a good question in the chat too uh what is vaporware and i know it was answered in the chat but for anybody who listens to this after the fact vaporware is uh software that is advertised and is used you'll see this happen frequently in um, what is it? Kickstarter and Indiegogo. Yeah. Yes. Oh my um, God. Kickstarter like products and services that claim to do these great things, but right. they collect all this money and then they just leave. All right. Yeah. Empty so, promises. Right. So they yeah. promise to do X or release at some point, but they never do. Yeah. A great example. Like you mentioned is, uh, um, Kickstarter, right? I, I invested mm-hmm. in a couple uh, of Kickstarters that I in like two or three years ago that I still haven't gotten yet. There's no updates, yeah. nothing. So that, yeah, that's the vaporware. A lot of these uh, vaporware coins, uh, that vapor, you, coin. vapor coin coins term. that that um, you have to be really careful. I know Matt, you mentioned a lot, uh, a little bit about ICOs, initial coin mm-hmm. offerings, and there's a lot of articles, a lot of mystery around all of these. There's some have who have raised multiple hundreds of millions of dollars, $200 million plus in their initial coin offering or ICO. And right. all they have is a white paper describing what they will eventually do. Right. And they, you have no idea if they're actually going to launch a product with this or where that investment is going that you put right. in the money that you put in. Um, there's no actual tech. There's no real word tech right now. It's just a piece of paper, a white paper that describes, okay, this is how we're going to use the, the blockchain tech to do X and Y, but you never know if actually it's going to launch. So people are investing a lot of money. So you have to be really careful of where you put your money in these initial uh, coin offerings, ICOs out there, uh, you have to be really do your due diligence, do your research uh, before you really start investing um, your money into this because you right. might not see it. it might, you just 
it might be gone in in a couple yeah. of years because you don't know that my company goes under or whatever. They just decide to shut down and they have your money and there's really no way for you to get it back because isn't really backed by any protections that mm-hmm. governments might have put there like your banking or something like the credit cards put protections against fraud and things like that. That's that's not a thing yeah. with cryptocurrencies. Um Right you do now. see a lot of articles that are written and a lot of these cryptocurrencies that are emerging do have public papers that are published um, mm-hmm. as they are moving towards ICO. And it it would it would behoove someone who's interested in trying to jump into this ICO market and maybe make a profit on some of these um, initial coin offerings to look a little bit into the into the tech behind what that Bitcoin or what that cryptocurrency um, uh product itself is and um understand what it is and sometimes you'll it's it's very low level and they get into the into the weeds with their details on the tech and it can be very hard for a standard person to do that which is why it's best to play it safe with some of the bigger more well-established coins and just kind of play the market as that goes if you if you're willing to just kind of see what it's all about and get into it but um, anybody who's moving farther and farther into initial coin offerings for much smaller coins should have a much better idea of what they're doing and should be very well aware of the fact that scams and, and vaporware and vapor coin is a, has a very high possibility because uh, with any emerging market, there's always scammers who try to game it. So, for sure. If you're watching the live stream right now, I do have the live crypto prices pulled up uh, in the the quarter there. Uh, that it's fairly fun to watch. Yeah, as mm-hmm. prices are and, fluctuating and changing. Yeah, and um, uh, the Zebinator's offering in the chat. He was saying, uh, I think it would be helpful for other viewers giving examples of good ICOs like Power Ledger and scam ones. And I don't know too much about the initial coin offerings for some of the smaller ones. I, this this focus was mainly on what cryptocurrency is and what Bitcoin is and um, how this all falls into uh, this emerging market that is cryptocurrency. Um, I can leave that up to the to the listener to, but just, just putting the information out there that scams are likely and um, anything like that, that is something that I feel is good to know. So thank you for that. Um, but to kind of go back into this topic, uh, I know we talked a little bit about transactions, the the ledger, um, what a transaction is, how it's built up, and how the hash functions work. Um, there's a little bit more we have left to discuss, um, such as some of these altcoins that we've, and you know, I'm sure you've heard the term sprinkled throughout this this chat. Um, so some of these altcoins are Ethereum, Litecoin, Dogecoin, uh, Dash, Ripple, etc. So there's tons of coins out there that someone could get into. So um, to start off with Ethereum, that is the de facto number two coin out there. Um, it's largely accepted as the alternative of Bitcoin if someone's looking to invest in something. Um, and I know, Irvin, you know a little bit more about the smart contracting system that Ethereum utilizes is what is where it gets its value from yeah, and how that works. And I don't know if you want to dive into that a little bit, at least keeping it high level for the listener, just so they kind of understand what Ethereum is. Yeah, so or if, if we should. Yeah, yeah, Ethereum was built from the ground up to be more than just an alternative coin or just a, a, a replacement for uh, currency. Uh, it was right. built um, as a, a sort of like a programming kind of language in a way uh, where you can in- incorporate it into other types of uses uh, other than the, the, what Bitcoin is sort of the main focus of is right now is a replace decentralized verbal currency. Um, and one way of uh, using the Ethereum tech is uh, to build uh, what's called smart contracts. Um, so these smart contracts, um, in short, um, allow you to exchange money, uh, property, shares, anything of value in a transparent way um, that avoids 
uh, a middleman. So the, that middleman verification of it. So for any, if you're transferring anything value of value from one person to another, you typically need to write up a contract, have a lawyer overview it to make sure it's nice and sound, that everything happens in an orderly fashion, that everything transfers. So you're giving monetary value for something, um, uh, that that transition goes through, it's validated, things like that. A smart contract can take that middleman out and do it all through a uh, proven programmatic way using the technologies that Matt described, uh, using those smart hashes, uh, the verification, uh, using that ledger technology to execute these contracts to ensure that, yes, the value that I'm giving you uh, has been verified by the blockchain, um, the, the, pro- the, this end thing property of whatever it might be that I'm giving someone is verified through a third party and it's, uh, secure, uh, since it's math, right? It's hard to fool math. It's, uh, yeah. that ledger is, uh, the key to all of this. Um, so these smart contracts allows you to remove that mm-hmm. third party completely, and do it in a transparent way where anybody can verify uh, that transaction, whatever it might be. Um, so it has huge potentials for uh, replacements of uh, current technology for um, uh, one. One could be for supply chain management. Uh, UPS uh, has been uh, looking into uh verifying that the the supply chain kind of thing, the moving all these packages to verify, yes, if something has been delivered uh, and using the Ethereum or the blockchain technology to do that behind the scenes uh, could be very useful for for, Mm -hmm. uh, that um, type of uh, thing. One, another one is uh, using it for uh, real estate or selling stuff online. Uh, so like things like on Craigslist, Craigslist, if you're selling it to someone or on eBay, you can use the blockchain tech to ensure that there are no uh, frauds happening, right? Where you uh, give someone something and you, you expect a monetary return, right? On a, on a product or yeah. whatever that you're selling, you can use this blockchain tech to verify uh, the the that, that exchange and to create a contract in between the person, the two people or the two entities that are exchanging the goods and services uh, to ensure that everything's happening um, mm-hmm. uh, in a nice way, a, right? There's no, it reduces the fraud. Um, it's easy to integrate too, which yeah. is something that's good for programmers who are going to, who yeah. might want to utilize Ethereum in transactions. It's, yeah. it's a fully fleshed out programming um, like it has capabilities that are yeah. akin to a standard programming language. So another use case for the, the smart contracts is in healthcare. Uh, it could be used for storing uh, personal health records that could be encoded and stored on the blockchain with that private key. So it's nice and secure. It can only be, and then given access to only certain individuals, individuals and ensuring that yes, the, the, these are the only people who have access to it. And then the blockchain will verify that, um, and we'll keep it secure. Um, and the same strategy could be used to ensure that the research is conducted via all the HIPAA laws. So all, everything is protected, right? Only the people who are authorized to view any personally identifying information uh, that might be relevant to that person are the ones that are actually um uh, viewing that data and offer also offers a proof of delivery, right? So if you want to send to your doctor all your medical history, right? You can just through the blockchain technology, you can send it securely to your doctor and you can ensure that, yes, that doctor, since they own, have their own type of like signature uh, assigned to them to so a cryptographic uh, key, right? Mm-hmm. Your doctor can once the doctor views it, they they're they're the only ones who have access to it. And you can ensure that through technology, through math, for completely proven uh, that yes, that your doctor is the only one who has access to that information. Nobody can out. Nobody else uh, can uh, 
have access to that. So it could be really huge for that too. There's a lot of different areas and we're only in the beginning of all this. Uh, mm-hmm. So people are, are um, still thinking of new ways, innovative ways to use this uh, technology uh, for sure. But um, right. Very yeah, but um, on the future of it, we'll we'll provide a link to show note uh, in the show notes uh, if you guys want to uh, read more about the smart contracts and also find some great articles on how to avoid any ICO scams. So we talked about right. that earlier. We all we'll put that into the show notes so you can reference those. Uh, uh, yeah. Once you download the podcast, for sure. Right, and for anybody looking to get those show notes, if uh, downloading the podcast. Um, if you wanted an easy way to read them on your computer as well, I know the show notes aren't quite conducive to being easily parsable on a, on a, a phone. But um, if you wanted to do that also, the show notes are copied into um, our Facebook publishing also. So uh, you'll be able to access that through our Facebook page as well. And it's the same copy of the show notes that gets distributed across all of our platforms. So mm-hmm. um, it's something else just to note that, that we do, um, also have that through our Facebook page as well and our, um, and our Twitter account. And I think we even published a YouTube as well. So, so there are ways to get those show notes. So anybody looking to get more information and as we put in articles in there, um, be sure to check that out. So, uh, but going back into it, um, Litecoin is much easier to explain <laughs> than, than the other ones. It's largely just, um, based on Bitcoin, but it is cheaper and easier to mine. Um, mining it is four times faster than Bitcoin. Um, it just jumped in price like huge, like sixty percent increase uh, recently in the past, like yeah, it did. three days. It spiked Bitcoin. a lot. Yeah, I saw that. I was thinking about buying it because it was saying that um, because it was uh, they were at ninety dollars I think last week, mm-hmm. and then now now they're at over one sixty I think. Yeah. Um, but uh, the one thing that's important to note, and I'll get into this in a little bit, is um. Litecoin is ASIC resistant. So what that means in the the short term is that it's not as effective um, if you're using something more powerful than a standard GPU. So the calculations that it runs are, um, it's not efficient if you were to use a really powerful machine. So you would actually, it would be overkill. Mm -hmm. And it's just as hard to crack it on a graphics card as it is on an ASIC card. So with that, I'm sure that some people are wondering, well, what's an ASIC card? <laughs> um, so when you're mining, you have several different options. Um, if you're a sadist, you can mine using a CPU. Um, <laughs> if you're, and you can destroy your computer. Um, if you are a standard person looking to mine um, an initial coin or a, um, or a coin like Litecoin or Dogecoin, you can use your GPU and your computer right now. Um, and depending on uh, how much money you spend on your computer depends on how well that'll perform. Um, or if you're a baller, you can go all out and get an ASIC uh, card. And a ASIC card, in short, it's just a purpose-built computer to perform hash calculations. So... Hash calculations themselves are measured in terms of kilo hashes, um, mega hashes, stuff like that. It's similar to how memory is measured. Um, but a kilo hash is just a measurement of how many hashes can happen within a span of time. Um, so, for example, um, if you're going off of a standard high end consumer graphics card, such as a 1080 um, or something like that, one of the higher ends, they're capable of up to one to two. Um, kilo hashes depending on um, how powerful of a graphics card you have and an ASIC is capable of and Irvin be sure you're square in your seat when I give you this number (laughs) an ASIC is capable of up to 1500 giga hashes depending on how much you want to spend on that card um so it's a little, little bit more powerful. <laughs> just, just a tiny bit. <laughs> yeah. So one to two kilo versus almost one to two thousand times that number. So, so uh, ASIC cards are a good option if you're looking to get into Bitcoin because that's about all that's feasible right now to actually do that. Um, and those can run up to thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. 
Um, you can go as cheap as one that's on a little USB stick, and that's not going to be too powerful, but still more powerful than a graphics card. And those range anywhere from up to I'm, I'm seeing you can even see some of the smaller ASIC cards on Amazon. They have them for under a hundred dollars. So that may be an option if you wanted to get into mining like a smaller coin like Ethereum or something like that, or even Bitcoin. But um, and they go all the way up to like fifteen thousand dollars, even more depending Eighth. on if you want to get like something <laughs> that basically you'd have to store offsite in a in like a warehouse yeah um and have access but, to cheap energy um yeah so basically if you store this in the hoover dam you're probably fine uh, but Tap if you're storing hoover this in your you're probably gonna kill power to the neighborhood oh so, man i just imagine someone is, just tapping into the hoover dam just plugging in <laughs> Neighbors like, like five blocks away, their lights dim. It's like, oh, it's just Frank turning on his ASIC. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> he's just booting. He's just mining into the network. Mm-hmm. It's all no big deal. But, um, but yeah, that's that's what an ASIC card is, and I felt like that's something that's important to note if someone's looking into that kind of stuff. And yeah, for sure. And there's um, like dedicated machines just with built to, for the purpose of mining. Um, yeah, so it's not a regular computer. Doesn't have a regular operating system. It's just dedicated to mining coin, any coin, and it's mm-hmm. like built on that type of technology, the ASIC, um, to maximize the performance. Yeah. Yep. And as you solve those calculations, which I was saying that to 12 and a half Bitcoins in, in Bitcoin, at least specifically, um, that was as of November 2016. So that number, I'm not sure when the four year cycle is for when it halves, but I think it may be around 2018, 2019 that will half. So anybody listening to this in the future, trying to get an intro into what this scary behemoth of Bitcoin is in 2018 or 2019, if it turns out that way. Um, just so you know, this, this is accurate to November 2016 and information up to uh, December 2017. So, um, but the, the last thing that I wanted to talk about, and this is kind of the most esoteric would be a word, I guess, way to describe it is um, something that everybody who doesn't know much about Bitcoin or the science behind it wants to know. And that is how the hell do you tell how much this is and how do you place value in in these coins? Like like mm-hmm. why, for example, right now I'm looking at it on the stream is Bitcoin worth fifteen thousand two hundred dollars? Right. And why <laughs> like, a day ago it was down to thirteen thousand. I was just right. looking at the and, history. It dropped like significant and reached a high of like eighteen thousand and then dropped significantly and now it's back up. To like down to 13,000 now it's back up to 15 like what yeah I'm very curious if you what determines that price is it like right. similar to the stock market is it just a perceived value what are people willing to pay for it right. um, so I'm going to um, I'm going to both uh, make you somewhat satisfied and disappoint <laughs> you at the same time because okay. I got more non-answers than I did answers oh, when I spent time researching oh, this great <laughs> so it's a mystery it's a Bitcoin. black box you never nobody knows it is. it is so a lot of it is involved in trust in the network itself mm-hmm. so um, people derive value from this incredibly secure way of verifying and auditing transactions without any kind of legal body standing in between you and the person you're giving the money to so a lot of value is perceived in that because if a bank goes down, this is still around because someone else just will have the ledger. So it's a very stable and secure form of currency. And it's a good option in the future once um, once things can be brought up to speed, because like most things, if it's decentralized, it's typically more verifiably secure than something that is held by one body that people have to place trust in that they're going to do their job. Mm -hmm. So um, that is the first reason why value is derived from from cryptocurrency itself. The second is um, the tech behind it. So for example, with Ethereum, their smart contracting and their ability to verify purchases across a vast spectrum of different fields, such as you said, medical, uh, banking, Anything that could go into a transaction, an exchange of goods between one party and another party. Um, People see value in that tech and 
an investment in Ethereum can be considered an investment in that technology. So almost kind of funding the development and expansion of people who want to utilize that technology. Um, so that is kind of another way you could look at this value um, and see why it's as popular as it is. Um, and why it has the value that it has is just faith in the technology. And the third one, and the one that makes the least sense to me, is that it's just because of its popularity and mm-hmm. things that are popular. Like everybody remembers the dot com bubble in the 90s when. Yeah, a lot of people the, have been comparing this bubble, quote yeah. unquote, to the dot com yeah. where that happened in the early th- the 2000s. Yeah, this itself is, I think, different than the dot-com bubble. But that being said, people got went crazy when Bitcoin hit $1,000 for the first time and then tanked way, way back down. So maybe we're seeing this happen again, but on a much larger scale with much more money involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that goes to what happens to Bitcoin in the future, what happens to cryptography in the future, what happens to cryptocurrency, the technology behind Bitcoin, its popularity. Because I would assume that as Bitcoin becomes more mainstream, it won't be in the news as much anymore. It'll get forgotten. It'll get brought back to what, um, to what it, it was. And the value will correct itself to, the, to whatever level it's at. And people are saying this may be a high point for Bitcoin. But we don't know because there's nothing to compare this to. You have no history. Even the dot-com bubble is different from this. Yeah. So it's this is a currency, whereas the dot-com bubble was, oh, look at all these online companies. We don't know how to value them because they don't have tangible goods. What's going on? Oh, help us somebody. But like this is this is the actual currency. This is where this is both the product and its worth. So no one really knows like if it's going to go up or down. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and then things like uh, when China dropped out, they banned all cryptocurrencies that took a hit, but it bounced right back. Um, mm-hmm. That's that type of scare. Uh, I don't know. So yeah, like then that 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 reason in itself is why I think that it may be vul- it may be less vulnerable to a bubble than the internet companies were, because that's a huge country. They were like, nah, nah, no Bitcoin, and it yeah. bounced back to even higher than it was before then for matters whether related or unrelated mm-hmm. um, it's it's higher than it was when china backed out so when the fork uh, happened another drop uh happened, yeah, another but drop then it then that's again. that's when it started to skyrocket from that initial right eight hundred thousand. that's when this huge jump started right when that fork everybody was worried that it's gonna tank right after the fork um for bitcoin the initial one earlier this year uh, happened. Right. Everybody was worried that it's going to tank, but it didn't actually. That's what triggered a lot of the skyrocketing. Yeah. Um, so, so I mean, it, it's it is what it is, and it's that that's about all the answers <laughs> that I have. What do you, what do you uh, what do you think of all, all these people investing? I know that we talked about this early in the the uh, the pre show before we started recording, but uh, now Coinbase is the number one app, the free app within the uh, iTunes App Store. Um, it's definitely becoming mainstream. A lot of people are starting to invest uh, their it's money on the iTunes store. Yeah. Uh, what do you What do you think that all all these people getting into it is it Is it a worthy investment? Would you do? I know you have some in terms of Ethereum that you invested um, a little bit into that, but I've heard people where they're they're investing thousands and thousands of dollars into Bitcoin. These are not tech people. These are normal people. Yeah. Like and then you, you just never have, uh, some some of the big uh, financial bloggers and financial people saying buy Bitcoin. Like it's becoming popular enough to the point where even they're starting to take interest in it. And you're seeing articles published in non-technical ways on like what Bitcoin is. Mm-hmm. But, um Anybody, I'm going to go ahead and just preface this statement with Coinbase is a fine solution for anybody starting <laughs> off with cryptocurrency. Yes. And it's a fine solution for anybody working in small transactions. Mm-hmm. That being said, um, I encourage everybody to look into Coinbase a little bit and some of the struggles that people have had with it. Yeah. Getting a money out, example, especially. 
Yeah. A, a good example of this is the subreddit for Coinbase. Mm-hmm. It's just our Coinbase. Um, there are some nasty horror stories on yeah. that subreddit of things that have happened. And um, I encourage everybody to go look into that just because this they're going to be handling your money and um, some account information from you. So it's important to know what their history is and if you should trust them. But the support, um, another, the support nightmares is is what yeah. turned me off of using Coinbase uh, yeah, for sure. And it's what's driving me away from them. Um, yeah. I'm going to be moving my coin off of off of Coinbase very soon. Also, very curious. All these people signing up for Coinbase, and let's say uh, potentially Bitcoin could start crashing, like nose diving down. Right? It could go back to a thousand dollars per coin. It it certainly is possible. That's not out of this realm. At that point, right? Everybody starts freaking out. They all start selling. And one of the main issues that I've seen on Coinbase is that it takes forever to verify the selling of. Uh, uh, a particular coin, that verification process that you talked about a little bit uh, takes a really long time. And then sometimes it just completely denies that uh, that uh, you taking the money out from Coinbase. And if everybody starts who has invested money through Coinbase starts selling, like when you want to sell and by the time you actually actually sold that coin the price could have changed significantly so if you want to get you see that drop and you're like okay i'm out i want to drop i want to get out of this before i start losing more and more money uh by the time you actually get it sold it could be way lower than what you were expecting um so it's not that easy to get your money out from what i've heard it's not quick uh investing as well takes uh, like seven days i think right now uh to invest through coinbase it needs a seven day verification time before you initially buy a particular coin and where you actually own it um mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy so you have there to are much really- quicker ways of getting coin though than just through coinbase which is important to note um, mm-hmm. and that don't involve their verification you can transfer them in to coinbase yes. mm-hmm. um but some coin require transaction fees, such as Bitcoin and um, coin and, and Ethereum, which I think Ethereum coins that transaction fee term as gas. So yes. there's gas fees uh-huh. <laughs> for Ethereum, um, which is very appropriate. But um, it, it's it, you'll lose a little bit transferring in, but it may be a little bit quicker. Um, but uh, anybody looking to get into it seriously and looking to get into it in the long term, I highly encourage to get what people call a cold wallet, which is a wallet that is stored on a dedicated piece of hardware that is not connected in any way to the internet unless to make a transaction. Mm-hmm. So, and you could do that if you had an old laptop laying around uh, that you never use and you never connect to the internet. And you know for sure 100% that you're only ever going to log on to that computer to make a transaction, then by all means, use that laptop. Yeah, but, but make sure you have backups of that because if that hard drive dies in there or that motherboard dies, you yeah. can't turn on that laptop. You have to have a way of recovering that wallet. Um, mm-hmm. Just make sure you have backups of it. And then the key thing with those hardware wallets is treat them like they are a piece like money, right? If you lose it, right. it's gone. Right. That's you your can't, yeah. Yeah. You can't get it back. Yep. And uh, the other important thing to note um, as a product that um, you're going that another thing, someone can buy another option and Zeminator just beat me to the punch in <laughs> the chat. Uh, the Ledger Nano and uh, the Ledger Nano S, I think specifically is a good one to look yes. into for an, a good intro. Um, and you can find that on Amazon. Uh, that's about, it's a $70, $80 thumbstick, mm-hmm. uh, that runs a custom OS built around storage recovery in case of failure and, um, being connected for the sole purpose of just, um, being a secure way of storing and transferring coin between accounts. So anybody looking to get into this who want to store in the long term? Over the span of years, I encourage move your coin to a Ledger Nano or a similar technology. And like I was saying, the Ledger Nano does have built-in recovery. So if you do, you don't have to worry about it failing. There's recovery keys and ways to get that back and get access to the account. So that's important to note. Mm-hmm. But 
all these require advanced technical overhead that aren't as easy as Coinbase. And that's why I say that Coinbase is a good way to get some coin and get an, a good introduction into the market just to see like what it's like. Um, but beyond that, um, if you plan on taking this more seriously, then absolutely go for um, something other than Coinbase. Because um, the whole point of a coin is to be decentralized. And the fact that you're storing it in an entity is kind of, is kind of ironic in a way. Yeah. If you think about it, you have to have that trust right uh, within yeah. Coinbase that they're not going to go down. We have heard of of hacks. Uh, the most recent one was NiceHash. NiceHash got hacked uh, recently, and and mm-hmm. a lot of money uh, was stolen. Their their own wallet uh, was compromised. Um, and uh yeah a lot of people had uh quite a bit of money invested in there so you have to be careful that the coinbase or whoever's you trust in keeping your coin is doing their due diligence and uh, doing their security right and also everything else behind that to ensure that uh how you're storing it um your money is is safe um so it's money it's real money it is so and people, there's like there's I, real intrinsic value to these coins. Yeah. So, and if you value money, then <laughs> you probably want to keep it safe. And um, what better way to do that than to put it in a box in a drawer, not connected to the internet? Yeah. So for sure. With a lock on it, because then you can actually put that safe in a safe, <laughs> and then you have <laughs> then you have two factor authentication right there without any additional money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, but yeah. And as um, user Harjo is saying in the chat, uh, the only benefit is that it's backed. The Coinbase is backed by FDIC insurance up to two hundred and fifty thousand. But um, I, that that statement would like to have a word with those horror stories from Coinbase. That's if you can get through their support. <laughs> so, um, if you can get through Coinbase support, then you're probably fine. Also, last week um, in our episode, we talked about Coinbase getting uh, if you. Um, uh, do more than $20,000 in transactions, they are required to report that to the IRS now. Um, so Uncle Sam yeah, is not, not saying if you want to evade taxes, but if you don't want to have to report anything to the IRS, then yeah, if you're or in the you plan US, on storing in the long yeah. term, because I would assume that even sending that kind of money to your own personal wallet would require an IRS, um, would require an IRS uh, notice. So I don't know. I don't know if that counts as a transaction or not. I haven't. It has to be like profit, right? So if you, let's say you invested a Bitcoin of 5,000 and then you sold it at 15, you have to pay taxes yeah. on that 10,000 that you made um, off mm-hmm. of that. Um, if you're not really cashing out, because uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's similar with the stock market, because if in the stock market, if you just uh, so, sell one stock and then invest it, um, yeah, you only start paying taxes when you sold a stock. So if you let's say you own a stock for 10 years, you don't may you don't pay any taxes on that only when you uh, sell it uh, and make a profit and get that cash value and put it in your bank account. That's when you start ha- have to pay right. capital gains tax on it. Um, okay. I'm assuming it's the same way cuz it's a similar idea, right? You're mm-hmm. you're buying something at a certain value can increase and then you're selling and you're making a profit. And I think the IRS is viewing it in the same way. Um, right. OK. Yeah. So. I think that's all I got. Yeah. No, that was great. Uh, and I hope yeah. everybody listening or watching on Twitch or YouTube um, had a better understanding of what cryptocurrencies are, get a more education. And we like to continue these types of I4O Explains videos uh, every mm-hmm. week. Uh, so we'll tackle different product or pro- products, uh, pro- uh, uh, different topics um, that mm-hmm. we might find interesting. And um, something that's important to note is we do take uh, viewer feedback. So if you do have something that you want us to do a deeper dive on that you don't understand, that you feel would benefit people to know more about, um, if you have uh, a particular technology that you're not sure about, um, you can just contact us on either Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, Podbean, any way possible and um, get 
any kind of information to us on things we can improve on, things we did right, things we did wrong, um, future topics, like we mentioned, um, that helps us and uh, kind of enable you guys to get better information. So um, as for us, um, all I can say is that if you're looking to find more discussions like this, um, this is not our main show. This is the, uh, the deep dive show. Um, so you can find us on our main show. If you want to know a little bit more about, uh, what's going on in that week, uh, in technology or, um, just kind of general information on some of the goings on in the technology industry and current events. Uh, you can check us out on industry40.podbean.com. That's uh, Industry40 all spelled out. And you can see that if you're watching the stream at the top of our bar. Um, you can check us out on Facebook. We share some articles and some bits of news there. Um, you can reach out to us on Twitter. We're always down for a good Twitter discussion. And uh, you can check us out on Instagram where we will uh, semi-infrequently upload random photos of cool tech and just some cool <laughs> photos that we think you guys would find interesting. Yeah. So... Um, with that being said, this has been the inaugural episode of I4O Explains, and I hope you guys learned something today. So, see you guys in the next one.